Hello everyone, and welcome to Long Story Short, a podcast where we review two-sided topics on the minds of college students and condense them into informative, civil, 30 minutes or less in order to create wider campus discussions. Our stories presents Long Story Short. Over the last 20 years, Marvel Cinematic Universe has become a pop culture juggernaut and a box office success, with over $20 billion worth of profits since August 2021. But Marvel as a, as a company has humble beginnings, starting as an indie comic shop in 1939. Although Marvel source material and their adaptations to the big and small screens share many things, there are also distinct differences. The question today is, which form is truly better than the other? Maybe you haven't read the comics, but you've watched the movies, as I bet many of you out there have done. Take this time to learn about their origins and the discussion found within. Parker Bino Service is a fourth-year film and media arts major at the University of Utah and plans on going to graduate school. He is the Our Stories Director of Creative Content, and he is an expert in comics considering he's been reading them since he was a child. To me, the biggest difference beside uh, aesthetic choices, essentially, and medium choices um, between comic books and their adaptations are the way they handle long-form storytelling. The most influential, of course, is Chris Claremont's Uncanny X-Men. He started writing the book in 1975 with X-Men 94, and he ended it in 1991. It's really like an insane amount of time no one has ever done it that long. No one likely ever will be writing a comic book that long. If you're getting all of the X-Men comics that came out between 1975 and 91, uh, they tell a cohesive story, I think, but they're not meant to be read that way. They're meant to be read on an individual issue basis. That, that 24 pages is the story, but they weave together to make a bigger story. And what's so unique about how comic books can tell stories in this way is that they come out monthly, there's a bunch of comics that come out, and they live in the same space. They coexist with each other, they influence each other, they grow off each other. Uh, what, what's happening in Amazing Spider-Man affects what's happening in Daredevil. And historically, that can't really happen in film. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies can't affect the Fox X-Men movies. It just doesn't work that way. Now that's the great innovation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Uh, Kevin Feige came up with this idea that what if we try to adapt comic books as they are, the comic book world, the interaction, the long-form storytelling, what if we try to put that into film? The Infinity Saga that started in Iron Man 1 ends in Endgame, it was all one big story, just like Claremont X-Men. That was the promise. And he definitely tries, but I don't think that it works the way we were all promised. But it's just not true. The Infinity Saga, it's a work of 
marketing genius and i don't blame kevin feige or marvel or disney for doing it because it it, it it's genius uh but it it's really hollow when you look too close the requirement to make film is that you have to plan three years out the movie you are starting pre-production on today will come out three years down the line if you're lucky and you just can't plan that far ahead while also trying to coordinate with other creatives other directors other writers other studios even if you have kevin feige this incredible this incredible producer behind your back it's just not something you can do the promise of a long-form storytelling is that you are showing these characters lives but it just isn't shown in the marvel cinematic universe years past in these characters lives when we haven't seen them pepper potts and tony stark's relationship which is crucial to the finale and endgame is shown off screen they go from dating to broken up to dating to engaged to married to with a daughter entirely off screen you can compare that to the aftermath of the dark phoenix saga in x-men where cyclops retires and even though he's off the x-men team you still watch him as he meets someone else he falls in love he gets married, he has a child, on panel, on page, even though he's not even on the team. And that is something special about comic books that you can do because you're not beholden to actor schedules, you're not beholden to working three years down the line. It takes a few months to make a comic book, but what is a few months compared to a few years? And things like the relationship between Tony and Pepper, I think, show the fallibility in the MCU as a whole. Not that it's awful. I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But that it's not this perfect high standard of what we are able to do with this storytelling device of long-form storytelling. Another example I like to bring up is the consequences of Civil War. In Captain America Civil War, Steve Rogers, Captain America, betrays the American government. He makes the right decision, but the consequences is that he's a criminal and he's running against the law. The next time we see Captain America is in Infinity War, where he is almost immediately allowed back into America. He's allowed back into the Avengers. Consequences be damned because... That is not the story they wanted to tell in Infinity War. They wanted to tell the story of fighting against Thanos. Compare that to something like Storm. Uh, in the 80s, Storm loses her powers. Uh, this great hero loses her powers. And over the next few years, she leads the X-Men powerless. At any point, Chris Claremont or anyone else could have decided that they didn't want to tell the story anymore. They just want old goddess Storm back. But it was never that easy for them. They had a plan. The plan might take twists and turns along the way, 
but the essential points are still there. Storm needs to earn her powers back. And she does. Steve doesn't earn his right to not be on the run anymore. He's not pardoned. He doesn't do anything to prove to the government that he should be allowed back. He just is. It's played off for a gag. And maybe that's a fault with just Infinity War, but I think it's a fault with the MCU as a whole. And this isn't a condemnation of the MCU. I think it's really effective of taking the aesthetics of long-form storytelling and giving it to film. I don't know how you could do long-form storytelling with so many different parts in film better, frankly. And I think that trying to ape these aesthetics uh, hurts the MCU more than just inconsistent storytelling. I think it really hurts the characters the most. Uh, Take Wanda and Vision. They're incredible characters that we all love, but we didn't love them before WandaVision. They were in four or five years of movies prior to it, but we just didn't get to know them at all. Their relationship happened off screen. They did not have the time to show us the love between these characters. And now that we finally got the chance to see the love, we understand them and we love them. We love them together and we root for them. Another example, I think, is Thanos. Thanos is shown two or three times before Infinity War, but we don't really get a sense of who he is. He seems big. He seems evil. But then we get to Infinity War. He is big and evil, but not really in the ways you would have been led to expect from the two scenes we see of him before because it, he's because he really isn't the character we saw before because it's just not consistent. And you can compare that to Madeline Pryor. Madeline Pryor's the Goblin Queen. She's the main antagonist of X-Men Inferno, the 1989 finale to Chris Claremont's X-Men. Maddie is built up for a decade prior, pun intended, to Inferno. She is a living, breathing part of the X-Men's world. She fights alongside them. She loves Scott. She hates Scott. Her character arc is real. You believe that Maddie is a real person. And it makes Inferno all the more heartbreaking when she's the villain. And I'm not saying that Thanos needed to be an Avenger before he became evil. I'm just saying if you're going to pretend like you've been building up to Thanos the whole time, maybe you should have been building up to Thanos the whole time. They were building up to the Infinity Stones, I'll give them that. But Thanos seems like an afterthought in the MCU because he kind of was, he was an advertising trick just like this all was. The Infinity Saga, it's an advertising trick. Thanos, advertising trick. 
it's all just to get you to watch these movies and i like these movies and i fall for the advertising tricks but it's all just to make it feel like the comics and it doesn't i love these movies uh i i feel like i'm being overly harsh i really do love the marvel cinematic universe it's just it's just pretending to be something it's not and i think maybe that's changing i think they might be looking to make it better in the future i i can't tell i i do know that everything that's been on disney plus so far has been a step in the right direction wandavision loki falcon and the winter soldier they make this world feel more lived in because they're showing these characters not just the big moments in their lives but the gaps in between and that's important comic books are cool man uh give them a read you can find me at parker service on instagram or at awesome name seven on twitter and i will be happy to give you recommendations on how to get into comics i think it's a beautiful medium and that everyone can enjoy it it's it's very intimidating and i understand how intimidating it can be and i think i know how to help people get into it so if you're at all interested i would love to talk to you about comic books even if you just want to talk about the marvel cinematic universe even if you disagree with me i would love to talk about it i do think it's great so i i'm not scared to praise it yeah thanks for having me how would you like to be a part of the long story short podcast we have this commercial space for your advertisement needs. Become a sponsor. Reach out to our team today at contact at ourstories.com. That's C-O-N-T-A-C-T at O-U-R-S-T-O-R-1-E-S dot C-O-M. Thank you. W. Andrew Shepard is an assistant professor of African-American literature and culture in the University of Utah's Department of English. His research focuses on modes of genre fiction such as science fiction, fantasy, and horror as they intersect with questions of race, gender, and sexuality, and the ways in which marginalized people utilize the conventions of genre to address concerns specific to their communities. His current research project, titled Temples of Tomorrow, African-American Speculative Fiction and Historical Narrative, investigates black authors' use of science fiction and fantasy as a means of working through a, a vexed relationship to history and laying the foundation for a more utopian future. His follow-up project explores the 50-plus history of Marvel Comics' Black Panther, charting the character's evolution from its earliest appearances in the Fantastic Four to the blockbuster film incarnation. How are you doing today? Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. How awesome. are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Can you talk to me a little bit about the intersect between comics and race? Sure. I know that's a very like broad uh, topic. Yeah. Um... Uh, in terms of comics and race, I mean, for a long time, I, I mean, the people, various non uh, non white or minority ethnic peoples, they just their their participation in the medium of comics wasn't as wasn't as extensive. So, like, basically, uh, like the the first. For instance, like black writer at Marvel was Christopher Priest, who incidentally wrote one of the definitive Black Panther runs. 
but basically, Priest was, uh, or, or Jim Owsley, was hired as an editor during the, the Jim Shooter era. And originally, he was he was sort of uh, doing editorial work, and then he he sort of got his, his shot at, at bat as a writer, and he wrote Spider-Man for a bit, and wrote uh, The Falcon, uh, and basically, and from there got offered Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist, like the heroes for a higher title. And, and basically, you uh, like that door has, has has opened. There were there were black creatives working in the industry. You had uh, Billy Graham who uh, worked as an artist on the Black Panther title. You had Dennis Cowan. Uh, like basically, like you had people working, but uh, working in the industry certainly, but they often weren't in a position to sort of make policy decisions about characters. They often weren't in a position to to create and design characters that were, say, more sort of fitting to how they themselves wanted to be envisioned. So, like, basically, the first the first black superhero is actually Black Panther. Uh, the uh, he emerges in uh, May of nineteen sixty six. It's it's Fantastic Four Volume One Issue Fifty Two. That initial appearance where we we get introduced to Wakanda, we get introduced to Ulysses Claw. The, the Andy Serkis character from uh, from the movie version, um, basically, and we get his origin story. Like, that's, uh, like, you know, it's kind of the novelty of that, uh, of Wakanda in that, um, in that initial appearance is that basically it kind of subverts your expectations of what an African nation would look like. Nobody sort of expects a techno-utopia in the heart of Africa. And it's kind of drawing upon like these older sort of tropes from from say the colonial romance or uh or uh lost race fiction like h rider haggard's like she or or uh, king solomon's minds like these stories of of like hidden enclaves in the like remote reaches of the world where there are people hidden away with uh technology or knowledge often stuff that they don't understand that, that basically, you know, colonial adventurers sort of dis, uh, happen upon or discover. And so there are elements of, of that, like, sort of maybe less than progressive uh, genre that are sort of woven into the fabric of, of Black Panther that, you know, basically kind of get, get massaged out over, like, the intervening decades as other people sort of uh, approach that, uh, the, those characters in that setting and, and sort of build upon it. Like one of the things that that's kind of interesting about Black Panther is is uh, and, and comics in general as as a medium, like when you talk about shared universes, they're kind of they're kind of built by bricolage. Like they're they're sort of they're built piecemeal by by different people contributing at different points. And so basically, in the case of Wakanda, Wakanda gets sort of fleshed out by initially by Stanley and Jack Kirby. But then Roy Thomas sort of builds on it a bit with its Avengers run, and he introduces M'Baku, uh, then known as the Man Ape. Unfortunately, uh, like yeah, his his costume was not super dignified either. Uh, but uh, they they uh, Ryan Coogler really did a lot of work to to sort of uh, make that character work for uh, for a contemporary audience. Um, basically, with the introduction of of like M'Baku, we we find out a little bit more about Wakandans and in, uh, internal politics. We find out about its its sort of attitudes towards religion, that you know you've got like the Black Panther cult, but you've also got the the cult of the white gorilla, 
and uh, and basically that's one of the ways in which Wakanda is fleshed out. By the time you get to Don McGregor in the seventies, uh, McGregor is is giving us like maps of what the the geography of Wakanda looks like. So like basically we know what happens when you go up in the mountains and what what you might find there. Uh, basically like an idea of what the capital city looks like, you know, basically sort of uh, giving us sort of insight into what life is like for like everyday Wakandans that, you know, that wasn't present in say earlier iterations and so forth and so on. Like people build off of it and that world becomes, or, or that setting becomes more complex as uh, as other people develop it. And also as, as sort of, you know, as the years move on and, and, and our attitudes towards Africa uh, and African peoples change, the the narrative itself changes to reflect that. No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, a good example of this is also the Mandarin, right? The Mandarin, when he first came out, was a very racist, long-nailed, uh, yeah. just, yeah, it's just a caricature, right? And then over the years, over the decades, as attitudes towards race and sensitivity have changed, um, so have these characters, right? Would you say that these characters are almost a reflection of ideas within general culture? I mean, I would say so. Like, I mean, you, you bring up the Mandarin. And, like, it's funny because the Mandarin is, he's he's kind of, uh, at least for a long time, he was considered, like, Iron Man, like, Tony Stark's arch nemesis. Like, there was, like, the question of when are we getting the Mandarin? And, like, basically one of the things is that they, they I think, wisely realized that the Mandarin would be kind of problematic to do like in uh, like as he as he was originally conceived in part because the way he was originally conceived was he's he's a Fu Manchu archetype and Fu Manchu is a notoriously sort of you know problematic stereotype about you know Asian peoples like it's tied to to yellow peril stories like these this fear of invasion from uh, from the east and for that matter Shang-Chi which which just came out like Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, as originally conceived, part of the whole hook was that Shang-Chi is, uh, is Fu Manchu's rebellious son. Like basically, you know, his, his act of rebellion was that I'm not going to become an imperialist warlord. Uh, like basically, you know, like some people drive their cars fast. This is what Shang-Chi chose to do. Uh, but like basically, and it's kind of, interesting how the movie deals with that like that basically they can't call the character Chang, uh, the, they can't call the character Fu Manchu I think partially due to, to the legal rights uh, but also I think uh, I think also because basically that that character just has kind of a negative valence so when they write the character in this iteration uh, the, this filmic version that that just came out they make a point of, of of humanizing him, like he's he's not just this sort of rapacious warlord who who sort of uh, exists to conquer things. He gets a bit of pathos. He gets uh, like a, a a lost wife that he's mourning. That that's the, the 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 motivation that's that's driving him rather than imperial conquest. And there is like a sort of an attempt to, even while sort of keeping that that basic sort of narrative hook or framework of of. Shang-Chi rebelling against his his rebellion uh, his uh his villain his father to sort of make the characters a little more sort of fleshed out and three-dimensional so that they don't fall into those types of stereotypes what's up pimps and players we're here with our panel today uh we're gonna go around the table so everybody can introduce themselves I'm Jorge Young OBGYN 
uh, pronouns he, him, third year poli sci. Hi, my name is Haley. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a second year electrical engineer here at the U. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm a third, um, third year poli sci and peace and conflict studies major. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, my name is Maya. I use they, she, he pronouns. I am a third year at the U studying history, teaching, and political science. Um, and also Riley Atkinson, our other panelist, is unfortunately not able to be here today. So we are going to move on. Uh, what did we think? So the question was, is one form truly better than the other, right? And I think a big part of the discussion is going to be what we define as better. Because it seemed like both of our interviews very much agree that comics are the better form um, of storytelling. But I wonder, my big thing is the movies make these stories and characters a lot more accessible. The movies, ha the movies and the adaptations have a way longer reach than these comic books have. Um, I've always been interested in comic books, but I've never really known how to get into them. One, because there's not a lot of comic stores around the areas where I grew up. And also, it's a lot of money. Um, it costs a lot more money to buy a bunch of comics than buying one $10 movie ticket once or twice a year. If I want to have a conversation with people in the modern day, you have to know about Marvel like shows and TV and movies or you're going to be like left out of conversations. It's like so ingrained in the pop culture. Yeah, that's a big thing um, in terms of pop culture, comic book superheroes and comic book adaptations, I think, are way more dominant than comic books themselves. Um, because I've read one comic book through and through. I read The Watchmen. Um, have you all read comics? I have not. I read one about Batman, and I can't remember which one, but it was a long time ago. Exactly. So I think in terms of accessibility and reach, um, the movies and the adaptations very much have the edge on comic books. But in regards of pure storytelling ability, the types of stories that are being able to be told with each form, what are we thinking, y'all? Professor Shepard talked a lot about um, in comics how it's relevant to the time that it was written and movies and TV shows change it to be more relevant to the time that these movies are being produced and released in. Um, and so I think that has a lot to do with relevancy as well um, in that you have comics that you read and every month and they come out and it's like relevant to the current events, like political and otherwise. Um, and then they change it in order to garner more attention when it comes to adaptation form. And also to be, um, you know, acceptable. Yeah. Nobody's going to accept a Fu Manchu version of the Mandarin in 2021. Well, e exactly. And I mean, things change. I, As Professor Shepard talked about, we saw that with Wakanda. We see that with um, Shang-Chi, the movie that just came out. Like, these are all adaptations in order to change with the times. And maybe that's why it's so relevant to pop culture anyways. Yeah, I think with the, like, movie adaptions and <clears throat> just, like, adaptions in general, you see a lot more of, like, like, in that whole, like, racism aspect of, like, 
more people of color being in these films comparatively to the comics where it was mainly predominantly white people. And then you also have a lot of um, now like gender um, people that are coming in, like gender fluid people or like non-binary people that are now coming in either just as actors or the actual characters themselves. You see that a lot more than in these comics that were obviously built in the times where it was not acceptable. But to be fair, um, we are seeing a lot of these more diverse identities in new comic stories. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Superman, Superboy, right? Yeah. yeah. Superboy came out as bisexual. Uh, there was a lot of arguments about this. I'm not part so of the Alphabet Mafia. The Some people loved angry. it. Some people <laughs> hated it. Listen, I mean, as a member of the queer community, I thought it was a huge step in the right direction. And people on the internet were so angry about it. Um, kind of coming back, trying to reel in a little bit. What do we think? Is there one storytelling form that is inherently better than the other? I mean, I think I think they go hand in hand, right? So you have comics that were created in order to propel this long form storytelling. And Parker talked a lot about that. Um, and he he emphasized that this long form storytelling was a way to keep an audience engaged. And that's that's what started this this Marvel universe. And now you have these extended movies and TV shows that are continuing to tell these stories in a possibly more accessible way, in a possibly more relevant way when it comes to the time that they're created in. Um, and so I think the comics definitely started this trend of long form storytelling and um, creating this entire universe of characters that people feel such an attachment to. Um, and the movies have only furthered that love for the comics. No, I definitely agree with you there. Like, without the comics, you don't get the movies because we see it a lot with TV shows. Is like they only last for so long. But now that these adaptions have started coming out, they've only progressively made more and more and more content and keep making like the business aspect of it of that whole money and. But specifically of which one is better, I think if we're talking about like accessibility, it definitely has to go to the movies and the adaptions of all that they've done, um, especially now that they're bringing out a lot more like I don't want to say like issues, but things that are going on within the world and making it more relevant and obviously adapting it. Um, and but the comics are definitely necessary because they are the purest form of all these characters. So, but for me personally, I do have to say that the movies and the adaptions are better. Um, I agree with the point that the reach and accessibility, like we've been arguing this whole time, is goes to the movies kind of in a landslide. Um, in terms of being able to tell stories, I think honestly, I'm probably going to side with the comic books. Um, and Professor Shepard also made so many good points as to why the comic books are essential and vital um, to, again, further these, this long-form storytelling. And so in terms of being able to tell a serialized tale, I'm going to go with the comic books. Um, you know, I don't think we should be in the business of saying which is better because this isn't a moral discussion. Um, I think certainly there are aspects that work better for different people and their preferences and how they consume media. 
But I think that um, both are valuable and both, you know, the movies, I think, like we've been talking about, bring more accessibility. They're easier for people who have a, not quite the attention span, maybe, to read um, a long comic or, you know, don't like movies. The Marvel movies are very flashy, right? And are able to capture people's attention, in a, like, just quickly in a way that some of the comics can't. But the comics, I think, add a lot more depth to the characters, to the storyline, etc. And um, just are the source material, right? And so that's why they're valuable. So I think we should be able to just keep it at that, that there's value, value to be found in both, rather than argue over which is better. Yeah, I think that was very well said. And with that, we adjourn our panel discussion. Uh, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. In a couple of weeks, we got a really awesome discussion of a topic that has, well, let's say, driven people apart very well. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good talk. Uh, and with that little preview, that little teaser, we're going to call it. Thanks, y'all. Bye. And that's been a long story made short. Thank you for listening. Long Story Short is an affiliate of Our Stories and University of Utah Student Media. And please make sure to list our social medias. Our Stories, O-U-R dot S-T-O-R one E-S on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and soon to be TikTok. And you'll also find our handles on the description of the podcast below. Thank you. We had a really awesome interview with Andrew Shepard. It went for, I think, 30 minutes before editing. We were probably going to try to put the whole thing up uh, as a separate episode because we would love it to fit within our 30 minutes, but there's no way we can do that. So, we, But we want to make sure everybody listens to it, so we're going to have it as a separate episode because I'm sure there are some Marvel nerds out there that are very much willing to listen to Professor talk about Marvel for 30 minutes.